Now, something that we haven't spoken about on this podcast in a while, but something which I'm certain since the last time we did speak about it in detail has become pivotal to your day jobs, just like it has for mine and Cal's. Now, that thing is influencer marketing, which is increasingly being known as talent or creative partnerships. Joining us today to explain how the practice has changed beyond just what we call it is Shannon Jennings, who manages social media and influencers for Very Group. Influencer marketing is... I'd say quite a misunderstood industry when it comes to the opportunity that influencers can provide to your brand and how they can take your brand from you know 50 to 100. They can literally change the face of a company if it's done correctly. Now that's the big if, if it's done correctly. So in this episode, we cover a whole host of topics to make sure you're getting the best out of your influencer strategy, including why creators are the new influencers, why traditional gifting may be a thing of the past, and how to achieve the perfect tone of voice between brand and creators. Well, Shannon, welcome to Social Minds. It's a pleasure to have you on. Lovely to be here. Well, we have a format here on Social Minds, which is asking one huge question to kick us off. And this week, that is, what does influencer marketing mean in 2023? I think for me, influencer marketing in 2023 means like, thinking about creativity and how we can bring influencer marketing to life in an authentic way. I think it's about being adaptive with your strategy and also thinking about what's next in terms of the channels, whether that's TikTok or Instagram, and really thinking big with your approach. It's also an area that's definitely growing. So it's like, how can we adapt and think for the future of in terms of investment? It's interesting you mentioned ad- adaptation there, Shannon, because we're just thinking about just in terms of the market as a, as a whole and influencers, I think, as we once knew them and, you know, what they were called. So influencers, I think we're seeing them increasingly uh, being called creators. I don't know if you'd agree with that. I was just wondering if if the term influencer marketing, for example, is is it time for evolution? There? Is, is it changing? I completely agree with you. I definitely think there's time for an evolution. I think although the term influencer can really highlight the power of people who have like a community online and can really like drive impact with whether that's like views Mm -hmm. or building an audience, I think the term influencer has got a lot of negative association and over time and um, whether that's on every occasion, but some occasions it's got a lot of I suppose bad press. I think the term creator is more relevant and it gives credit to people who are online who create content for a living, whether that's fashion, beauty, home content. I think it gives a lot of a lot more praise to the work they do um, and put into their channels in providing value to their community. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think that's a trend that we've been seeing sort of being led by creators as well. I think so a couple of years ago when there was so much press about influencer fraud and all like the the sort of bad actors who were not disclosing ads uh, and things like that the term influencer like paints a certain picture in your mind doesn't it it's like the very love island-esque yeah um, Yeah, type personality and it it does have that negative connotations i think we're using like the word talent a lot more now as well exactly i don't know if there's difference between talent and creators whereas like talent is like anyone with you know, notable following that you can partner with in a campaign. But creators to me, like, still connotates, I don't know, some sort of, like, creative skill, like, whether they're, like, particularly good at, like, editing or... Eve's just trying to work out whether she's talent or a creator. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what would you call me? I don't know. (laughs) 
So, yeah, you've said that, um, uh, you know, when we last caught up uh, a couple months ago, I remember you telling us that um, you guys at Very have what you call always on influencers, reactive influencers um, and campaign influencers. So people listening um, and ourselves as well might be familiar with a different type of tiered approach. So like nano, micro, macro has that system. So they're always on reactive and campaign. Has that replaced like the traditional sort of tier format for you guys? Yeah, I think in terms of influencer marketing, our strategy is less about, I suppose, the the tiers isn't a critical part of our strategy. It's more about how we structure it. And I suppose that does lend itself to us at Barry being such a large business. But I think the most important part of us when we think about our influencer marketing strategy is how we can really drive impact using influencer marketing. So the way we have it uh, structured is like, we have influencer network, reactive influencers. We have campaign, um, which align is about aligning to our ATL moments. And then we have celebrity, which is driving awareness for our celebrity collections. And then within the above structure, we'll have like different tiers in that. So we'll have like VIP influencers, mid-tier influencers, micro-influencers, nano-influencers. So it's not to say that those tiers aren't important and each one doesn't provide value in a different sense, but it's just when we're looking at the structure of influencer marketing, we wouldn't align our channels in that way. And the most important part for us is when we're thinking about influencer marketing is, does that influencer align to our brand? Do we provide community to that community? And like, does their content quality and their content style kind of match what we're like, we're doing as a brand and their characteristics more than looking at their following? Yeah, I mean, how how do you like differentiate then? How do you decide who's gonna, um, you know, who you're gonna work with on a campaign basis versus who you're gonna work with on a reactive basis? Yes, yeah, so that's actually a good question. So on a uh, campaign basis, it will depend on like because at Barry we could have um, Christmas a Christmas campaigns. So those influencers will kind of will differ than if we're having reactive influencers. So reactive influencer is put in place to give us flexibility you have platforms like tiktok now and i believe you have to be like reactive on them if there's a trend you have to like jump on that trend so it's more about that approach so those influencers will kind of need to be reactive in a sense like able to turn over content informed in the trends whether a campaign could be more like it depends on the campaign but we kind of think about the messaging and how that influencer would align to us Another part that interests me, so it's like probably falls more into the always on remit, but I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I remember having a conversation around influence marketing um, probably several months ago now, to be honest. And it was more about the difference between like small ticket items versus like big ticket items and how you'd partner with talent to push like those various products. So if it was, you know, like cars versus, you know, a, a jumper or something, there was that real benefit of always on talent uh, being able to help with like the longer purchasing decisions that you yeah. If you were buying like, a car or a sofa or or something bigger, um, so I guess for for you guys, I mean, like very specific to Very, what's the argument for working with influencers um, over a long period of time? You know, across like multiple campaigns or multiple pieces of content instead of just you know one hit wonders, depending on a campaign that's perfectly suited to one uh, influencer. Yeah, of course. I think this is really interesting because I think at Very, so we work with, we have the Very Network, um, which is our like basically ambassadors um, for the brand. And we've worked with them for years now. And then we have uh, celebrities like Michelle Keegan, who we've again worked with for the last few years. So from my perspective, I suppose the benefit of long-term partnerships is 
there's I suppose two parts from like an influencer side uh, from the brand side we see like improved relationships more coverage influencers attending events and then they may organically speak more about the brand on social and it comes across just more natural and then you have the influencer side which I think it's better from a community perspective if the influencer is talking about a brand long term or going to their events and talking about them or talking about their favorite product they sell I think it really is it really sells that kind of authentic and um, nature of influencer marketing and I think that's what that's what's needed to be successful at influencer marketing that real credibility and it goes back to the kind of essential uh point of like building trust with your audience no definitely would you think um that that's preferable then if we were like I don't want to ever like suggest we give blanket advice but Mm -hmm. you know for our our listeners wondering what they should do with their own influencer strategies do you think long-term partnerships always trumps like case-by-case choosing I think the great thing about long-term partnerships are like there's multiple benefits but like I would suggest whether you're a large business or you're a small startup thinking about like what influencers are really at the heart of your business or what influencers do you think should be at the heart of your business and what are their characteristics and how could they provide value and really building long-term relationships with those influencers I think will only just benefit you. Absolutely I mean you mentioned there the partnership you got with Michelle Keegan and obviously a huge partnership and um, I mean if I know it (laughs) it's obviously reached reached quite well so it's doing its job but again kind of looking looking as a whole at influencer marketing I think what probably like five six years ago I'd say was was likely going to be influence market was likely going to be an, an add-on a social campaign or a traditional campaign or a tv cover whatever it may be but now so many campaigns almost use talent as the absolute default now it's kind of gone from something you might add on to the absolute you know the starting point for a lot of lot mm-hmm. of um, brands what i'd be interested to know is how many campaigns you run with influencers versus without influencers what's the balance there yeah i i completely agree i think influencer used to be just an add-on and now it's like everything like my job's increasingly becoming so much more busy um every day and so I completely agree on that and I think it's definitely become a central component in terms of like how many campaigns does influencer involve at very to be like transparent it's really difficult to give like an exact number because the scale of campaigns we do but I would say about 90% of the campaigns we do at very and do kind of have that inclusion of influencer marketing whether it's a component or it's full stream activity we definitely have seen a huge rise in the integration like of influencer marketing i think that's quite reflective of like agency land as well Mm. though now it's very much like like cal said even in the last like five or six years you've seen that change between like you know what's the campaign what's the creative message and then it's a you know a question of is there talent that like would work well for this should we use talent it is very much a question now it's the only question is who should we have you know which (laughs) talent should we have it is almost sort of a given yeah, I completely agree. It's a whole new area of like ev- influencers like pushing every single campaign. So it's definitely an area of growth. Looking, you know, we talk about investment as well and obviously choosing the right influencers. You know, current economic state's not amazing. Um, I think, you know, marketing budgets are suffering in some aspects because of that. Do you think influencer marketing might be 
well, you'll know this from from what you've seen already. But do you do you think it could is it in danger of being seen as a luxury to a campaign? Even though we've a said, lot you know, of marketing is in general. Well, let's be honest, I mean. it has been. Even though we've said, no. you know, this is actually quite a lot of this is where campaigns typically start now, which is interesting. But do you think investment in, in influences is waning at all, or is it kind of just plowing on? Yeah, I, I think it's it's an interesting one because. Um, as you said, like, could my, all of marketing be seen as a luxury? I suppose from my perspective, I would say no, very influencer marketing hasn't taken like a hit. Uh, it's only definitely grown. However, it's, it's really difficult to comment on the industry as a whole or every brand because I know every different brand or retailer has different challenges right now. So I think that's a difficult one to comment on. But I suppose from my side, it hasn't taken a hit. And I think the probably vital element to understand why it hasn't taken a hit is because it's people tend to see the numbers and what once you see the numbers whether i think influencer marketing is successful or not in my opinion when we do a campaign whether that's for brand awareness or that is revenue you can really just say here's the results and people really see the impact of influencer marketing it is so tangible, isn't it? I, I, the listeners are always going about social. Now you can see tangible results yeah. straight away, whether that be you know through likes, retweets, engagements, whatever. But with um, with influencers, yeah, I mean, you'd be able to see an uplift of something with, and then when the influencer tweets or posts or whatever it may be that they're contracted to do, you'll see an uplift, hopefully. <laughs> you know what I've noticed recently? I don't know if anyone who's got their sort of ear to the ground in the influencer sphere, especially in the beauty world over the last few weeks, um, has been aware of the sort of uh, mascara of false eyelashes um, scandal um, from a really prevalent me. beauty creator on TikTok. <laughs> yeah. that, that, the mad thing about that is that that happened. I think it's quite obvious that there was a bit of hoodwinking going on. The product still sold out immediately so we've gotten to the point now where that like that like influence is like sort of immune even to i don't know i don't want to say like yeah probably a bit of bad behavior um yeah but i agree it it just seemed to be like a a sheer numbers thing what do you think about that i think the impact it had was more about people it had a knock-on effect to people talking about it more than people were like, because mm. I know a lot of influencers, it came up my feed and then I saw a lot of influencers like trying and testing the products um, and it, it seemed to really work. So I think maybe that's what sold it out. Maybe, I don't know, that the conversation became so topical. On, I think hashtag mascara was trending on TikTok. So I think that was <laughs> mm-hmm. kind of like the impact it had. And that sold it out. But I think in terms of influencers, we're always so strict on like making sure it's seen as fair. And we've had conversations like that come up in the past. Like, of, are you wearing fake eyelashes? Like when we're talking about beauty, like making sure we're really transparent um, when we do influencer marketing. Absolutely. I also think the laws are a little bit different in the UK versus the US in terms yeah. of, you know, if uh, if someone's wearing like, even like you see like the fine print on a TV advert for a mascara. And if the model is using like any kind of eyelash extension or anything like that, it has to be disclosed there. So those, those of us that aren't quite au fait with the mascara scandal, they were wearing fake eyelashes and putting mascara on. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. They were reviewing a, a mascara and then before Amazing. the final reveal, they've put in some wispy <laughs> lashes. Isn't that like And going, everyone was like, those are falsies. Fake tan brand, but they're in two weeks. 
leaked. I just Portugal love the fact before. that like she hasn't addressed it. Like no apology video. She's just plowing on with the reviews, like content and the knowledge that she's just sold out that product for the brand. Yeah, uh, but, you know, totally it? agree. I I really hope that the brand wasn't involved in asking for that. Um, uh, and hopefully their relationship is okay afterwards. Yeah, I think you have to disclose. Most um, fake eyelashes. I know. Yeah. But what just astounded me was like that that sheer scale of conversation, like you said, Shannon, yeah. the fact that it's still spawned. You know, people trying it for themselves. So like now it's, you know, for a different reason to see if it actually had that effect. Is all PR good PR then in influencer land? I think it's a difficult one. For me personally, I do think uh, like it's hard to tell whether, you know, she did that kind of as a bit of entertainment. I don't know. Or she actually believed that she was like going to get away with this like effect. But like, I just believe in transparency as like, especially if you have a community mm-hmm. And yeah, that's kind of like how I would see it, like be transparent, but you you can create hype on on social and especially on TikTok um, without doing stuff like that. But I suppose the brand benefited. So who knows? It's actually interesting because one of my, I want to say bugbears, but you you know, when you see an influencer and it's so scripted, the the tone of voice really is what I'm getting at here. And it's like just something you would never say, even like footballers who are promoting boots, you know, you can probably can't even yeah. speak uh-huh. English when they've just moved to the country and then they're using these like extravagant words that's that have just been fed to them. That's a brand problem though because it as, is, as much as you problem. advise on please you know let them put this in their own words every brand has that key message yes. that they want to get across and it's always like specifically phrased. Yeah. I'm like oh that's going to sound so jarring. Exactly when you've got a you know a footballer from Argentina who's just arrived in the country and next minute he's flogging about the, the flex sole on a boot it's like <laughs> yeah, you know, it's not going to work. It's a big word. But actually um, I mean like I say it's a, it's a bugbear of mine yeah that's just because it's done badly from brand side and I think always that authenticity you know when you look at the creators it's not overly scripted especially with TikTok now I think what we're seeing is TikTok creators getting the creative control from the brands I just wondered from from your side one do you work like that and and kind of how the balance but then two how as Eve said how do you get these brand messages in without it sounding fake or really forced how does that work when you try to give Um, them control but then land a certain message this is something i'm so interested in because it's something i'm so passionate about like you i i go on tiktok and i still think there's a few brands that are on tiktok that could be a bit more give creative control like there's that appetite Mm -hmm. to still there's still a a little bit of force with some brands i think like when talking about like overly scripted content and creative control in my opinion i suppose it's like it is really the difference between doing influencer marketing successfully and not like if you're overly scripting content it's just not really going to work um like when working with influencers like your your main goal is to really like translate and for them to translate their love for their product to the community in an engaging way that i suppose really creates impact whether that's through awareness or revenue so I believe that like overly scripted content uh, fails to translate the love of a product uh, for and a brand in an authentic way. Um, I would say that to answer your second question in terms of like, how do you get that mix right? Like how do you get mm-hmm. a creator to translate the love for the product to their community in an engaging way? I would definitely, for us anyway, very, we're always, it's a two-way conversation so what we do is we go out to influencer and we're like, this is what we want to achieve, very top line. And then we always ask them to come back with what is their creative feedback. So we won't let them, we won't let them shoot to avoid them wasting their time 
um, without us signing off the creative treatment. So they, some of them come back with like amazing decks and loads of ideas. Some of them come back mm. with a few lines, but it really does allow us to be like, okay, you're adapting the campaign messaging into what is your own creative or like on a platform like TikTok, you're adapting it to what you think will work. And um, so it definitely, we've seen some amazing results from that. And we get like really great feedback from the talent for working in that way that we are quite flexible. That's a really nice way of doing things. Essentially, you set almost setting them a brief, right? Yeah, and then yeah, you have to trust them to answer it in their own way. I yeah. think the key word you use there, Shannon, um, which I totally agree with, is translate. Yeah. So every brand and product that you want to like sell has their USPs, right? That often translate into really specific key messaging. So instead of telling them to say that word for word, um, you should just ask them to translate the benefits in their own words. Agree, agree. If it's mascara, you know, you don't have to be like skyscraper extension. Exactly. Or whatever it might be. Like it's like the, the marketing term. You can just say, wow, my lashes are actually so much I, longer. I agree. And it just sounds like more human. I agree. And it's even with like, even with like hair, for instance, if someone's like using a, like using a product to do their hair and like it get ready with me on TikTok, that could actually be powerful enough to have like, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of comments under it to be like, how do you do your hair? But so many brands are like, want to prescribe influencers to like, step one, you turn on your curler, step two. And that doesn't really sell. What sells is the natural content that you've watched anyway, and that a brand is just naturally integrated into that. Right, on that point then, I think like, because if we're talking like talent briefs and like best practice there, especially if you're asking them to film content themselves and you're giving them steps like, okay, you want to do this, do this, then do this. What do you think the balance is between like assisting them if they're not like the most video savvy versus being too prescriptive uh, and like boxing them in? Yes, I think that's an interesting question. I think it's really down to understanding that particular creator's strengths. So when we find a creator whether that's someone who can do really like good Instagram content and it's kind of has a more polished side to it or whether it's a TikToker who films video content and understands that kind of fast-paced content that a video could be seven seconds but outperform a video that's one minute and really good quality. So I think I would say more working to the creator's strengths and working with the right creator rather than adapting them and teaching them to do something maybe they're not it's not their area they're not as good in yeah definitely and I do think there's a point here if we're like sticking with the investing in like those regular partnerships and you're always on uh, influencers it's beneficial to both parties um, to invest a little bit of like I don't know I don't say like media education but like you yeah know, give them a you know a little bit of like training almost if you're if you want to keep working with them I think you know there's some skill sharing to be done there. I do agree. I think there is definitely skill sharing as well from an influencer side. I think as to when I in the past used to create and still do create content. So I suppose that gives me more lens of like the struggles influencers face and stuff. But I think from a brand perspective, a lot of maybe internal people and brands don't. So they don't understand the challenges creators face, like with the weather or the timing of a TikTok or Instagram reel. So I think being able to understand and you're right in saying that training, whether it's from a creator to into a brand and um, really understanding those challenges that both face 
I want to um, sort of shift the conversation towards platforms a bit because okay. we've spoken a bit about TikTok and I'd like to get into that a bit more. But interested to hear how your strategy um, differs by platform, what areas you're focusing on. So you know like Instagram was sort of the birthplace for a lot of influencers or creators as we now know them. And it's still a prevalent channel for like a lot of brands, mm-hmm. but we can't ignore like TikTok uh, really dominating the scene at the minute. And then you've got your sort of like niche, uh, like more niche like uh platforms uh, like snapchat etc um and then like unconventional talent you might look to partner with on you know channels like uh, reddit or you know twitch streaming platforms i think tiktok in particular has excelled in like really turning yeah. like the everyday person like your next door neighbor into these creators that can like as we've seen with someone like michaela who like shot to fame out of obscurity um you know turning into a creator that can generate real revenue um for a brand so how how do you guys look at the landscape right now so I would say TikTok is where we're looking to invest more heavily in this year. I think a lot of brands last year really stuck to Instagram. And we were we were one of the first brands to really dive into TikTok. However, looking to kind of even out our split in terms of TikTok and Instagram as our main two channels. TikTok is definitely an amazing platform. And I think we're going to see so much growth from it this year. So it's really for us about working with creators on that platform, building those relationships. Like I just got an email the other day of a creator who's just gone full time and she was like, I just want to thank you. You're the brand who supported me and allowed me to do that. And she's been doing it for two years now. So it's like building those connections with influencers on TikTok. We we are across multiple platforms. Like we go into a bit of YouTube, we'll go sometimes a bit into Twitch with some of our brand partners in the more lax side of Barry. So it really does differ across platform, but I'd say is like um, kind of a fashion and beauty home perspective. We're definitely focusing on Instagram and TikTok at the moment. I guess as a sort of add on to that, do you think it's preferable or I don't know, in which situations do you think um, like collab content should be posted on a brand's master channel versus the creator's own channel? Yes, this is a really interesting one because I, you probably know this as well, but on Instagram, you could post, repost someone's video on your channel and it could perform just as well or it might outperform them if you have more followers. On TikTok, duplicating posts is like something they shadow ban. So it doesn't allow you to get the engagement. So it's to avoid like as those they, TikTok prides itself on creativity and pushing good content. So they don't want that to be duplicated. Um, so it is something we've had to kind of adapt in our strategy because social sits on our team as well. It's kind of how do we adapt that in terms of going to create like get an influencer to create maybe two video and one sits on our brand channel or do we just share it anyway and just kind of put a bit of pay behind it from a brand perspective to boost it so there's different ways of looking at it however i do think that's something that it tiktok is not from a brand side and a social perspective it's probably less about sharing creators content and more about leaning on creators to drive that awareness and um, engagement yeah. seen the obviously the uh, the collab posts now i think they're they're big, aren't they? In terms of uh, in terms of getting that kind of dual drive, if that makes sense. Yeah, of course. And we're definitely trying out the clap post feature with different talent, which has worked really well for us. Gifting is something that we all we all have seen. Um, some people are jealous of Eve, <laughs> and <laughs> I think it, it can get a little bit out of control. To be honest, when you see some of the states of their like 
was like, I think there was one video, it was just ages ago, to be honest, I haven't watched it in a while, but Zoella took us like into one of their like spare storage mm. rooms, like the top floor of the house. Mm. And just opened like all the cupboards and like built-in wardrobes, and there were just shelves and shelves and shelves oh, of like makeup products. Yeah. <laughs> Bloody hell! I just yeah, I mean we've seen you know Love Island especially. Um, I've gone for that sort of sustainable fashion and looking at that sort of green element and the sustainability, as you said there, Eve. You know, with gifting, it can sort of get out of hand with with real macro influences. Um, where they're just getting sent all sorts of stuff then, that potentially they'll never use. It just goes out of date. Yeah. How how do you manage that? Is, is gifting still applicable in a landscape, you know, where people are trying to be more sustainable? I think it's interesting that you mentioned this because I I like to keep up with uh, my, like, influencer and creator connections. Like, I'll go out for coffees with them. And, like, I've often asked them this because what we notice in the brand is the more Obviously, when you do a big gifting activation, it can be quite costly. So I kind of just mm. upfront asked a lot of creators, like, is that something you really want? And they were like, being honest, like, we really prefer if like a brand's like, would you like this? Is this something you'd love to receive? Because they don't want to as well be given loads of product and come across in a way that they're not sharing it for the brand and then to their community that they're coming across like frivolous, that they just don't care about the kind of like concept of getting loads of products so i think for an influencer it's kind of that hard um kind of match of keeping a of keeping a brand happy but also keeping their community happy so i would say that like from our perspective it's really important to us at fairy that we don't come across this way in our gifting approach and we're definitely um more uh, careful in terms of how we gift influencers moving forwards um, like for example, last year, um, last last Christmas, we did an act an activation. So for everything we gifted at Christmas, we basically gifted it back to schools and hospitals in Liverpool. So we went into Alderhay Hospital, um, with the same basically, if not more, toys that we gifted all the influencers and iPads and amazing things, and we gifted it to loads of the wards and the children. And it was just one of the, it was one of my best moments of last year. It was just the best feeling being able to give back to people who like it really means a lot to. And so I think in terms of giving back, that's something we're definitely looking at for 2023. Like how can we apply that to influencer marketing a bit more? That's, mm. Yeah, it's a lovely campaign. That. Oh, definitely. That's uh, really nice. Oh, it's, it's interesting to hear that influencers are thinking of the brand, obviously, in terms of how, you know, if they receive product and don't then promote that product, they're thinking, well, oh, that might damage exactly. my reputation with the brand. And that's it's, it's typically, in a way, a one-way transaction where the brand needs the influence. But now that the influencers need the brand, it's interesting. Yeah, it is. Mm. I think it's nice to see it, like, follow the trends that, I'm going to say trends, but, like, definitely, like, more awareness around services, like, um, you know, like, like clothing rentals. So instead of, like, buying a new dress every time you have a wedding to go to, now you can rent something, send it back, and, and sort of do your clothes that way and um i see that sort of replicating in gifting whereby instead of like sending products that you might want them to try on for a shoe or like an instagram reel or something um and having them keep it but have this cycle where you know they're going to be sent so much stuff so you know have it wear it for a bit and then send it back to us and I agree i think it's definitely this need for more sustainable practices because i think as you said like it's been good for the brand to see oh an infant are sharing what we sent them but then in terms of customers and how the audience feel, like if you're scrolling on TikTok and you see someone receive like a huge beauty parcel and you're trying to save up for one of those items, 
it seems so out of touch and you're you're it's kind of like it's not a nice feeling and something we definitely don't want to translate to our customers and um people in general so it's like how do we go above and beyond that of like as you said like maybe it's gifting influencers asking for the product back or it's gifting influencers with a more meaningful touch and tying into something a bit more meaningful no, definitely. Do you know what I really love seeing actually to that respect? If it's like, um, so probably like beauty being another example. Yeah. So they get sent like a new kit and it's like every single shade of like the new lip gloss range um, of which there might be about 12. And obviously we want to see like the talent trying on every color and like doing the swatches um, because that's like the whole purpose of the video. Um, and people do find that useful. But then what the talent will do often like of their own accord um, is host a giveaway amongst their community and say, well, I don't need all of these so you know they'll host a giveaway um and people exactly. can sort of uh pitch in to win so maybe something like that you know with clothing if the brand then facilitated that as well that would i think have a nice perception on on everyone involved and we have we kind of encourage that now with their creators too like they'll say the one thing we don't want to see is people reselling their clothes or um reselling it in a way we prefer them to give it back to their community or giving it to charity or doing something good with it um if if it comes to a place where they've had it for a few months but it's definitely like us encouraging like we had like last year when we did our toys live shopping we two kids and they came along and we were saying like take as many toys as you want and the mom was like they can take one toy <laughs> and then we're going to get the rest to our audience and it's just stuff like that that like I think that's why the creators you work with are so important because it's like, do they match in terms of their characteristics as people, your brands and who, what you want to be known for? Sort of coming full circle then back to the beginning of, of the process, I suppose when you're sort of choosing talent to work with in an ideal world, we'd have our like pick of the bunch, but, you know, with scheduling conflicts, you know, budgets, et cetera, et cetera, that sort of agency or like big brand admin we have to go through. Um, it's often the case, I think, when like you're, uh, I don't know, deciding who you'll work with for a campaign or like pitching a concept to a client that you end up with a few like uh, ideal options or talent lookalikes that often changes, you know, depending on who's available but would you recommend I mean it's probably preferable but would you recommend that brands agree on the right talent first and then shape the campaign creative around that individual and if that's not applicable what do you think is the best way to go about um, you know making sure you're not just ending up with someone that's uh, you know the only person available basically yeah so in terms of like when we do ATL or and it's going basically um, around the country on billboards or TV ads it becomes a bit more like, okay, well, this is a holistic thing we're all working on and it has different teams involved. Therefore, um, how are we going to influence as a part of the campaign? So we'd more take the creative and be like, how are we going to tell those stories with influencers? And then we find the right influencers to put in place for that creative. If it's like a collaboration, whether it be like a celebrity, so whether we'd work with Michelle Keegan and we want influencers to kind of match her spring summer collection then what we might do is depending on her creative as well maybe it's really they have the full creative already completed then we tie it to that creative but if we get a brief and it's more like a bit more loose and it's like we're launching an amazing brand or and um, we want to do a huge activation with a, a certain kind of a certain kind of brand then we could be more playful with our approach and what we can do is we could get basically the influencers first get them on board hear their thoughts like ask them for this is what we're trying to do 
can you send us back creative treatments and then kind of finalize the creative treatments so get them involved in the creativity that's the way I love to work and that would be the dream way but because at various is such a big business you have multiple uh, different streams of the influencer structure and how it feeds into the different marketing channels but yeah I think that hopefully that overall answers your question yeah no definitely I think it's um really helpful and very insightful because there'll be people uh listening who will be working on those large-scale campaigns and then some whose only experience with talent will be for those sort of smaller one-off um activations so it's nice to hear best practice yeah. for both and I think that feels like uh, a nice place to uh, to wrap up and just want to say a huge thank you for joining us again and speaking to us hopefully everyone's learned something new then not uh, least of all calling influencers creators yes, not definitely. influencers I have to keep changing my wording and um, I think in the industry it's known a lot more as like influencer and then creators is kind of moving over outside the space but yes but thank you so much for having me I've really enjoyed speaking to you both Eva told you influence market was misunderstood, didn't I? Well, some some of them are putting on false eyelashes. So oh, exactly, <laughs> that was scandalous. I actually didn't see that. Um, yeah. But I really enjoyed that chat. It's, it's influencer marketing. Obviously, I, I mean, I'm au fait with uh, the ins and outs, but the real details there that Shannon covered really interesting. I find it interesting that we still call it influencer marketing. Well, isn't it just marketing now? Well, yeah, because it's just it's so, so like, important, so it's ingrained. Like every I guess. campaign, every activation. Yeah. I don't know if I'm the biggest fan of that. I'll be honest. It's gotten so like it's obviously really effective, right? But it's gotten so like normal to the point where every campaign or every brand thing I see on social that's like kind of like a new ad or content or you know branded content, mm. every single one has talent in or is led by talent. That it would be very refreshing now i think for me to see something that could stand up to that like performance and effectiveness that wasn't mm. using talent like that for me would be like okay that's a really good piece of creative well, now yeah yeah i think um for me macro is the the way i think we're seeing that it's if you've got huge reach i.e logan paul ksi with prime for example uh, i think we're going to be seeing these macro influencers just completely take over micro influencers mm. Don't freak out. There will be a place for you somewhere. Um, well, just just get on TikTok, post every day. You'll be in macro in no time. Macro. Exactly. <laughs> you will become macro. But it is, It's. I mean, community is a bit of a... Buzzword. A buzzword, mm. yeah, when it comes to influencer marketing. But these macro influencers that have the communities, have the influence. Um, it's a fandom, are, I think, at that stage. If it's KSI level and what I the hell's agree. going on with the prime. Mental. <laughs> it's ridiculous Mental. but it's very impressive objectively from yeah. a business point of view i have no doubt that they will be billionaires in the next two years i genuinely think what they're doing is, so, is incredible if you want to work with ksi do it now it'll <laughs> <laughs> still cost you millions yeah, a lot um but yeah really interesting chat with shannon hope you've learned something from it as i said influencer strategy is so important to businesses it depends obviously what brand you're in but if you get it right it is an absolute win Thank you.